Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. I don't know who would name their kid Habakkuk, but anyway, uh, they did. And he is in the Bible forever. Habakkuk, chapter 2. Praise the Lord. Now today, I'm going to share some things with you. I believe will be a blessing. But in all that I share, there's one particular part that God was very, uh, very direct with me that I, I can't let the time expire until I've said one particular phrase, but I'm going to lead up to it and we're going we're gonna to just share, because the whole message I know is what he wants me to share, but there's one area that he wanted me to really focus on strong. So let's look at Habakkuk chapter 2, if you would be so kind. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit today about being a runner in Hebron, because we talked about this some time back. And then I just felt the Lord say, you need to remind them of it. Amen. So on March the 1st, I preached a sermon called Running in Hebron. At the end of February, I was here on a Saturday night for a corporate prayer meeting and I was praying. Now, now this is one way the Lord leads you, not the only way, but one way. As I was praying, it come up in my spirit, pray out Habakkuk 2 too. Now, because I know what Habakkuk 2.2 is, I didn't have to look it up. I started to pray it out. Father, I thank you that, uh, that I, the vision is made plain. That they would run who read it. That they would run who read it. That they would run who read it. Is that not what it says? Let's read it. Habakkuk 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain. That means easy, not too complicated. Upon tables, write it down on something. That he may run that readeth it. The whole purpose of a vision is for you to run with it, not just to read it. A lot of people know the vision and they know it, they've read it, but they don't do anything about it. And God is wanting people to run with what they know. Not walk, run. Now watch the next verse. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and shall not lie. Though it tarry, that means wait or, or, or be delayed, wait for it because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Now, I want you to notice, why does God talk? To, Greg, we got to use brain. We have brains, right? Why did God say about the vision and the very next thing he says, be patient? If he's saying there's a vision and it might tarry, but it won't lie, it will surely come to pass. So just, just wait for it. If he says that, it means that when the vision is cast, sometimes time passes before you see it fully manifest. And God is trying to let people know, I know that time is going to pass. Are you, are you, are you really, listen, you got to incline your ear today. You got to stretch your hearing. Nothing exists, not your to-do list, not your job, not your lunch, not your nap. Nothing exists outside this hour. This is the only hour I get with you and I'm very jealous of it. So don't, don't get distracted. Focus with me and incline. Strain your spiritual ears to listen today. Because if you do and if you expect, hope you didn't just come religiously. I hope you came to get answers. If you came for God to reveal something to you, he will. If you came just to be religious, he won't. But I trust you came to get something. Yes. Now, if God says, I want you to run with a vision, the first thing is he doesn't want us to walk with it. He wants us to run with it. Which means when the vision is cast, some people don't act toward it the way God wants them to. Right. That's why he specifies run. Yes. But the second problem is not just you're running with it, but you can't get tired. Yes. 
because the vision doesn't always happen the next day after it's proclaimed. He told us a key to the vision is I'm going to tell you what to do. But remember, when I tell you what to do, I want you to give all your heart to it and run. But remember, when you know what to do, there's going to sometimes be times of tarrying and waiting. And it may look like it's not even working. In fact, it may look like the vision lied. But the vision is truth and the vision will not lie. The vision will come to pass, but I need you to hold your ground. I need you to be patient. Do you understand that if somebody has sees uh, God has a vision he puts in their heart and they, they're having to give all their heart to it and they have to run with it, not walk, but run. And on top of that, it might delay and they're running and they're running and yet they don't see it happening and they're running and they're running and they don't see it happen. It's human nature to say, I quit. It don't work. That was a lie. That's why he put verse 3. For the vision is for an appointed time. When it's spoken, it's not the appointed time. It's spoken well in advance before the appointed time for it to be fulfilled. But at the end it shall speak and shall not lie. Although it tarry, wait for it because it will surely come. Praise God. So God wants us to remember when we're fulfilling the dream that God's given us corporately and individually, he wants us to give all our hearts to it, not half-hearted. And he wants us to remember that just because he said it on day X does not mean it will fulfill itself on day X. He says a vision because it's going to come to pass on yonder. And he expects you to run and give your whole heart to it even though it's not yet coming to pass. And he expects you not to give up and not to think it was a lie. He expects you to hold your ground and hold your running stance and say, I believe it will come to pass. I believe it was the truth, not a lie. It might tarry, but it will surely come and it will not tarry anymore. Do you understand? This is the attitude that we must have when it comes to running. Now, I was praying on that Saturday night, and I heard him say, I heard the, the, that verse come up, uh, the, the, write the vision, make it plain that they may run that reads it. So I'm just praying out the scripture because that's what I heard in my heart. I'm praying it out. I'm saying, Lord, I thank you, the people in promise of life, when they see the vision, when they hear the vision, they run with it. They run with it. I'm just praying. And then I heard these words come up out of my spirit, runners, 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 runners. So I started praying out what I heard. I said, Father, I thank you that when they see the vision, and when they hear the vision, they run with it. There's runners in this church. Promise of life is filled with runners, not walkers, not slouchers, not slackers, not sleepers, and not joggers. We are with runners, runners. And I'm just praying that out, praying that out. And then I heard the phrase come out of my spirit, because I'm looking for runners in Hebron. That's the year that God said we've entered. It's a new beginning in many ways for this ministry. And he says we are in a season of running. He is looking for runners in Hebron. Now, I know I say that and it sounds fluffy and it sounds ethereal and it sounds, well, that's nice, runners in Hebron, but what does it mean? And how do you apply it? Because if you don't understand what it really means, you don't know how to really apply it and then you'll be guilty of not being a runner. And God wants us to be a runner. So that was on March 1st. Then March the 8th, we had Reverend Randy show up. And the prophet said, this will be a year of spiritual warfare and this will be a year of distraction. At that point, we couldn't, we didn't know how true those words are. But look at the spiritual warfare that is going on and all the stuff with governments and conspiracies and this and that and confusion 
and God knows who, what they're, why they're doing what they're doing. And one person says this and another person says that. And I'm telling you, you better be careful how much you listen to out there because it'll distract you. In fact, people, and it's fine, I don't mind people sending me stuff, but people sending me this thing and that thing. And finally, the Holy Ghost said, stop listening to all of it because you're getting distracted. One person says the mask is good. Another person says the mask is bad. Fauci says this. Trump says that. This person says that. That person says this. This person says hydrochloric this person says no. And it's, it's, just, it's just a ping pong. And, and if, you, if all you do is give yourself to listen to what every little Tom, Dick, and Harry has to say, you know what's going to happen? You're going to become distracted. Yeah. I'm not saying don't watch the news, but I'm saying you better be very careful how much you let in and how much you focus on it because your, your spirit will get distracted from what God is saying. This is a year of spiritual warfare and this is a year of distraction. We have got to guard and keep our attention on what God is saying. Right, this is a very weird year. We will look back in the, in the years to come and we'll look back at 2020 and go, that was just a strange year. That was a weirdo year. It's a marker year. Now it's our Hebron year. Don't think that the Hebron is taking a back seat to COVID. God knew COVID long before when he said it's your Hebron year. You're entering in as a church. You're coming into another phase. Now I know I have more invested interest than anybody else because it's about my life and it's about my ministry. But we're all together as a team or at least I hope you're with me as a team and we're doing this together because I can't do it on my own. Because we're edging toward a goal. And the goal is this mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost. This goal is this move of God. This goal is this revival. And so God is taking us by the hand and leading us one stage at a time, Jenny. And we went through a preparatory season. And now we're in the beginnings of something wonderful. And in the middle of this beginning season, bang, we get hit with this massive distraction. Bang, we get hit with this attack of the devil, and it really is an attack of the devil. And the prophet warned us, so why are we worried? Why are we concerned? He said, it's going to be an attack, and it's going to be a distraction. But if you keep your eyes, you'll push through it. And sure enough, that has come to pass. Now, the 15th of March, which was the next Sunday, I, I started, we have half the crowd here that we normally do, because people were hearing about this and panicking, and you shouldn't panic. That's right. You shouldn't panic. I'm not judging you if you did or if you are, but you shouldn't panic. This is it shows if you have faith or not. I'm not going to get COVID. I never have got COVID. I never will get COVID. And I'm also not going to get the flu. And I'm also not going to get tuberculosis. And I'm also not going to get cancer. And I'm also not going to get the bubonic plague. And I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get anything because my faith is out there in front of me and it destroys viruses and germs before it can even get to me. See, that's the dominion of the Christian. I teach you this. You should believe it. For the churches to be closed, right now there's many churches that are closed because they're so afraid of COVID. For a church to be closed is a crying shame because that's not the spirit of faith. We act as though nothing happened because nothing has happened. It's a bit of an inconvenience that you can't go to the mall as easily or, gross, or, or you can't go into a restaurant or you, now you can a little bit more. But, you know, it's been inconvenient, but our life hasn't really changed. If you really are a person of faith, even if your company laid you off, you can stand a destruction and famine and go, ha, 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 ha. I'm a tither. I have covenants of promise. True. My company may have laid me off, but God hasn't laid me off. And because I'm a tither, I have rights. Now, Father, I claim the tither covenant. Father, you have to give me, you have to restore this to me. You have to give me something better. And by the end of the year, it might take a little bit of time, but by the end of the year, I'll have more than I had had this not happened. You hold your fast, your faith with me, and you'll see God will do a miracle. 
I won't tell you who because I'm going to have her share a testimony next Sunday. But one of our young ladies, you know, just, just, just faithful, just a tither, just honorable, had a job, okay job, not a great job, but okay job. Believe God for more. Heard about Hebron, heard about the anointing to prosper just in her own simple way. Father, I believe the anointing to prosper is on me. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should start a business. I don't know nothing. I just know the anointing to prosper is on me and the little tiny voice of the spirit apply for that job. So she just applies for that job and probably maybe didn't even know if she was going to get it because it's a highfalutin job. Do you know what highfalutin means? It means above my pay grade. But she just applied for the job with the blessing of the Lord, the blessing of Abraham, the blessing that makes rich and adds no sorrow. The favor that encompasses her about as a shield is on her. And she applied for the job and lo and behold, she got the job. She's got a massive bump in salary. She's got much more responsibility. She's flying high and rejoicing because the anointing to prosper is on her. And she did it in COVID when everybody said, you're gonna go under. You see, that's because somebody believed. I don't know if everybody believes, but even one person in a church that believes, God will look over all the unbelievers and get to that one. When I say unbelievers, you're believers in Jesus, but some people can be unbelievers in the blessing. Unbelievers for these things, but God will look over you. God is looking for the heart that reaches out in faith. Your neighbor may not do it, but if you do it, God will honor you. Praise God. I'm telling you, Jenny, this works. But he wants us not to be distracted. He wants us to remember about running. Now, let me, let me give you some very simple, because the Lord said, put it in bite-sized nuggets so that they can digest it. I can't, I can't preach it too high, high, on the, high on the cob for you, and then it goes over your head. I need to try to make it very simple for you so you can understand what running really means. What does running really mean? First of all, uh, when you run in Hebron, it is giving yourself more fully to God and to the vision. That distinguishes between a jogger, a walker, and a runner. So for example, let's say that you are here doing the toilets. I'm just trying to make it very practical. You're here. Now, is that part of the vision? So the vision has been made clear, but you're to run with the vision. So let's say you do it half-heartedly and complaining all the way through. Are you running or are you walking? If you've got a bad attitude, you show up late, and then you get offended because the staff don't thank you on your way out the front door, you're, you're, you're not running, you're walking. Now, God didn't ask us to walk. He asked us to run. But somebody that comes, Jenny, and that says, my God, this is my opportunity to serve Jesus. I may be doing it, yes, for the pastor, yes, for the congregation, but I'm really doing this for my Jesus. I'm in ministry of helps to serve him. I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to do the best job on these toilets as if they were Jesus's toilets, because this is the local church where the church gathers. And I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to do the best, and I'm going to have a good attitude, and I'm going to smile and sing while I do it. And when I walk out, I don't need anybody to thank me. I wave and say, God bless you guys see what that person is is a runner now I say we're going to do this thing here on August the 30th and some people inevitably will say well you know whatever just after my money again yeah I'll put a hundred bucks I'll put a couple hundred bucks I'll do my part whatever but God said I want you to do this well that's too much and there's arguing and complaining and then even if you yield to it you do it with the wrong attitude you do it grudgingly and of necessity the Bible says and you lose the blessing and that person is not running that person's walking but God didn't ask for this season to have walkers. He asked to have runners. That means somebody that says, Father, what do you want me to do? And God puts it out and says, Father, I'll do it. And I'll do it with joy. And I can't wait to do it. And I'll do it not because I have to, but because I love you. And they do it with all their hearts. And they sow. That is somebody that runs. When somebody offends you, 
And God says, the vision is, which is the general vision of the Bible, not just of this house, I want you to forgive. And they say, well, fine. And they half do it, but they still hold ought in their heart. They're not running, they're walking. But when somebody says, Lord, with all my heart, I forgive that person. I don't have to feel it. I don't have to like it. I don't even have to like them. I choose by faith to forgive because Jesus forgave me. And by faith, I let it go. I do it with all my heart and I bless them with my words. And they're all in. That person ran. They didn't walk. Do you see what I'm saying? Getting up earlier to pray and praying with all your heart is running worshiping at home more, lifting your hands without anybody there and, and just worshiping him and giving yourself to it, that's running. Getting a, coming to prayer meetings here when maybe you wouldn't normally do, but pushing through and saying, I'm going to come and seek God with the rest of you, that's running. Forgiveness, tithing. Some people, they, 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 they maybe a small percentage, but they still have a problem with it. When you get that, when you finally yield to God's will and you say, Lord, I'm not going to tithe, I'm going to tithe with all my heart. Yeah. I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I honor you. That's running. Do you see? Do you understand that running is doing the vision, but it's doing it with all your heart. It's not doing it half-hearted. And this is what God was trying to get over to me to say, I need the congregation to hear you preach, to tell them I want them to run in this season, not be half-hearted in this season. Praise God. Now, let me take you, please, if you would, to a couple of scriptures about running to just help you give a foundation. So turn with me quickly to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Come on now, Hebrews chapter 12. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we are also, verse 1, encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset. So not everything is sin. Some are just distractions. And let us run. Do you see it? Run with patience. The race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he ran his race, didn't he? Endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to notice, did you notice chapter, chapter 12, verse 1, tells us that we are running a race? Did you notice that it said, take off certain things that are not going to help you run? Yeah. Are, you, are you with me? Yes, I keep asking you because I just feel like you guys are real, real drag, you're, you're dragged this morning. I'm not trying to be mean, but you are. I know the things of the Spirit. Whether you do or not, I know the things of the Spirit. So it's okay for you to respond a little bit. I don't need you to respond, but when I feel that heavy, that there's a heaviness here this morning, and that's because you brought it in with you. So why don't you spend a little bit of time in prayer before you come to church instead of getting in the flesh? You might, you might help the service a little bit. I was just reading, Jenny, Dad Hagen. I was just reading what Dad Hagen said last night. And Dad Hagen said, the congregation and the baggage they bring into a service greatly affects the flow of the anointing. And he said, most people are so carnal that they're doing a whole bunch of stuff before the service starts that they shouldn't be doing. And they come in with a bunch of baggage, tiredness, offense, boredom, and it affects the whole flow of the service. Yes, sir. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to teach you because the first service wasn't anything like this. The first service, the anointing was strong. This service, the anointing is not strong at all. So you better look at yourself because I'm the same preacher as I was this morning. The only reason it's different is because of you. So don't get me started. Some of you need to, you want to come one o'clock? You need to get up and pray a little bit and worship God before you get here so that you don't bring baggage with you into the service. 
And I do have a right to say it because I'm the pastor. I'm not trying to hurt you and I'm not trying to drive you off so that you never come. But some of you got a whole bunch of baggage and that's why the anointing doesn't work properly. And here I am, I'm laboring this morning. I'm a mule. I didn't have to pull that hard this morning, but I'm pulling hard this afternoon just to try to get you to open up your heart. So can you make some little adjustments in your heart right now and in your mind say, Father, I'm not here out of religion. I'm here because I want to be here. I'm here because I want an answer. The Bible says that when we're running, there are weights and there are sins. In Hebron, if you're going to run with me, it's time to get sins out. And it's time to get weights off. Because not everything's wrong. To watch certain things on television is not sin, but it will hinder the flow of God in your life. To be on certain things with social media is not wrong, but it will hinder certain things. To do certain extracurricular activities is not wrong, but it will hinder certain things. So when we're running, Jenny, there's a tendency things are going to try to anchor us and slow us down. Number one, we've got to get rid of those things. Number two, notice what he said. Run with patience. The race marked out. Remember Habakkuk 2? He said, here's the vision, run with it. And then the very next verse, verse three, he says, and by the way, it's not going to happen right away. And you're just going to have to be patient. And don't think it lied and don't think it failed you and don't think God failed you. It will surely come to pass, but it will tarry. So what does happen when you're, Jenny, I see the vision. I see what God's taking us, but it's taking time for it to come to pass. What does God expect from me? He expects me to run, not walk, not jog with all my heart, run at that vision, knowing I won't see it all manifest right away. So to maintain a momentum of running when I don't see it manifest requires patience. You have to run with patience. You have to set your heart. I will run and I will keep running because even though the the finishing line may be uh, yonder ways down, I may not see it all come to pass. I'm not going to slow down. I'm going to run with all my heart. This is the Bible, the Bible Old Testament and the Bible New Testament. Run with patience. Remember, now as you're running, Reverend Greg, and as you're, you're giving your whole heart to it, and as you're going forward and you're fulfilling the vision, but you're not seeing it all happen right away, but you're not quitting, you're still running. If you don't keep your eye on Jesus, you'll stumble. Because what will happen is you're going, you're going, and you're using your faith, and you're, you're stretching yourself, and you're believing for this offering, and you're, you're, you're coming on your day off, and you're serving in ministry of helps, and you're, you're working, you're running. But you're not seeing everything God promised in your personal life or the vision of the church happen right away. So you're now entering into that season of running with patience. But now watch me. If you run with patience and you start looking at me and you start looking at Greg, oh God, and you start looking at Taylor and you're thinking, I'm doing this for them. I mean, I like him, but I'm busting my hump for them. Are you listening to me? No matter how wonderful a leader may be. No matter how great a leader may be, if people are running with all their heart and they're being patient because they don't see it come to pass right away, if they look at the person, the person will begin very quickly to pale. At first they thought, ooh, they're so great. After you run a little while, you think they're not so great. In fact, they're kind of ugly and they annoy me. And then I come to church, I get dressed up in in my Sunday best and then he yells at me and says that I have baggage. No, I'm saying when you're giving your whole heart to something and you're being patient and you're not quitting, when everybody around you quits, if you're looking and doing it for a person, no matter how great you think the person is, you will be disappointed and you will quit. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith.
I'm doing this for you, Jesus. I'm not doing this for the congregation, baggage or not. I'm not doing this whether they tithe or not. I'm not doing this whether life's easy or not. I'm doing it for you. I run for you. I'm patient because of you. You are the one. I love them, and I love my pastor, and I'm doing all these things, and yes, they're part of the equation, but they're not the main event. You're the main event. If you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, you will quit on me. But when you keep your eyes on Jesus, Jesus is perfect, I'm not. Jesus will never fail you, I may. But if you're running the vision that Jesus gave me, that I'm giving you, because God planted you in the church, and he said, run with the vision of the shepherd. And if you run with that vision, but you keep your eyes on him, oh my gosh, you'll run right through the finish line. So remember, weights and sins, off. Patience, it's not going to happen right away. And keep your eyes on him. That's three points in one verse. Now there's one more point in one other verse. So have a look quickly at the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Four simple things I want you to remember. Number one, weights and sins off. Come on, it's time to clean up. You can't, come on, come on guys, come on. Time of that stuff has passed. We, we got, we, there's a responsibility on us. We're, we're the last generation, there's this responsibility on us. You're going to have to run and not walk. You're going to have to run with patience because it's not going to happen as fast as you might want it to. And you've got to keep, you can't, you can't run from me. You've got to run for Jesus. I'll lead you. I'll help you. I'll run with you. But he's the one. He's the one that I'm running for. That will give me the strength to keep going no matter what. Praise actually five things. So one, wait. Two, run with all your heart. Don't walk. Three, be patient. Four, Watch Jesus. Don't do it for people. Do it for him. And five, Philippians chapter, what did I say? Chapter three and verse 13. It's the summary is give your whole heart. Yeah, amen. Yes, amen. Praise God. Well, really, I guess it's four things because I already said that in the previous because it says run. It didn't say walk. It said run. But now I'm emphasizing the word run from this scripture because this scripture means give it everything you've got. Hebrews chapter 3, brethren, verse 13, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind. And reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul talked about runners as an analogy in the New Testament in his epistles. He talked about farmers, he talked about soldiers, and he talked about construction. Four main areas Paul uses in types and shadows. This is one of the areas of running. Of, a, of, a, of the Olympics, which came out of Greece, which is where he was from. He saw the Olympics in real living color, the way it originally was back in ancient times. He saw them practice. He saw them run. And he's now using this as an analogy to say, when God has given me an instruction, I don't hold back. I get off the weights and I press. Now that word press, Greg, is a very powerful word in the Greek. It means to rush and it means, it means to give wholly unto, to give yourself wholly to something, to pour all your heart into it and press. He's talking about a runner. So a runner is pressing. Nothing distracting. Remember the weights and sins? Nothing uh, discouraging because he's got his eyes on Jesus. Even the, dis- even the delay of it coming to pass is not discouraging him because he's running with patience. But he's not just running, Taylor. He's running with all his heart. All his heart. Yes. This is what press means. Yeah. Both refer to runners. It says the word run in Hebrews, but in, in Philippians, it doesn't say the word run. But the word press and the idea that he's talking about is a running, a runner that is running a race that is pressing toward the goal. So both are runner scriptures. So what are we doing? 
Number one, we're running with all of our hearts. Number two, we're getting the hindrances off. Number three, we're running, we're running specifically for Jesus. We're not going to, we're running with patience. Number three, it's going to take some time, but we're not going to quit. And number four, we're doing this for him. So we're not going to quit because people let us down. We're doing this for him. I'm trying to get over. The Lord said to me, Jenny, I want you to remind them that I expect runners. It's amazing. God can just say one statement and I'll preach a whole hour about it. And all of your, I'll take all your time to listen to one thing that he said. Because he wants you to hear it. Yes. We're not in a season to have half-heartedness. We're not in a season to walk. This is a season where God needs everybody to pick up and run. Do it wholly given to it with all your heart. You're going to forgive? Forgive him. You're going to give? Give. You're going to do the toilets? Do the toilets. You're going to worship, worship. Give yourself to what you do for God. When the vision is made plain, give yourself. That's what he's looking for. Now, can I go to part two? He said these words to me, Jenny, as I was looking up my old notes and kind of rewriting them and putting them in different order and getting it all so it's fresh. I didn't just want to preach the March 15th sermon. It has to be fresh. So I had to regurgitate and meditate and rewrite and redo everything again. But as I was writing all that out, and I figured, okay, I'm done. I can stretch that. To, it's a little short, but I can stretch it to an hour. Then I heard the Holy Ghost say a phrase to me, Reverend Greg, that didn't sound like it had anything to do with running, but oh my goodness, it has everything to do with running. I heard him say this, to run is to be hot. To run is to be hot. Hot? What does temperature have to do with running? And let me take you to Revelations chapter 3. Can you look at Revelations chapter 3 with me? To run is to be hot. Now if he's saying I'm looking for runners, people that give their whole heart to something, people that give wholly to something, uh, that means that he's looking for people that are hot. So he took me to the scripture. Revelations 3.16. You got it? So then because thou art lukewarm. Let me look at verse 15. Let me look at verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. Thus these things saith the Amen. Do you know that Jesus is actually called the Amen? Do you realize that when you say Amen in church it's a spiritual phrase? Do you know that they don't say Amen at soccer games? They don't say amen at board meetings. Amen is a phrase reserved for the glory of God. When you sit here and you say amen, Jesus calls himself the great amen. Everyone say it, amen. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Now, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus is speaking. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou be cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So the Lord said that phrase to me, to be a runner in Hebron is to be hot. He takes me to this verse and because I'm a curious fellow, Taylor, I'm reading the verse and I'm thinking, but who's he writing that to? That would be a good thing for you to adopt. So I went up north, go north. 
and, and find out who the subject matter is. Find out what the context of the scripture is mm-hmm. so that you can interpret it more accurately. Yes, Bible says skillfully, rightly dividing the word of truth. So I go up and I see that he's reading about the Laodiceans. He's speaking to the Laodicean church. Yeah, yeah. So I start to do a little bit of study on the Laodicean church. And did you know there's seven other churches yeah. that are all here in the book of Revelation? Now, let me tell you, from a theological context, and both these are right, there is a context that says, a belief that says, the seven churches listed in Revelations are the seven churches that each have a section of time in history. That from the time of the rapture of Jesus to the rapture of the church, in that time called the church age, from those t- in the, within those boundaries, the two raptures mark the boundaries, in that church age time, there are going to be seven sections of time, physical years, and churches are going to be, uh, the, the churches are, these churches are going to be assigned to different parts of church history. Do you understand? Then the other theological argument, and both are right, is that, This day today, we're in the last day church. That all seven types of churches are found in today's church. And that is true as well. But the primary is that the church was divided into the history of the last 2,000 years. So let me show you, because I'm trying to bring you to a, a climax here. Let me show you this. It's very crude. I just took it with my phone, so forgive the shadows and everything. But let me show you the seven churches in a very brief overview, okay? The first church, which is the apostolic church after Jesus was raptured, the first church with the apostles was called the apostolic church. And that is Revelations 2, 1 to 7, talking about the church at Ephesus. And this church was, that word means desirable. That's what it means. And basically, this is where the church walked in separation from the world. And this was God's desire. But he still corrected them for, not, for leaving their first love. This is the apostolic church. They were, they were desirable to God. They were right. Now, we see that church today. But yet we have to constantly be remembering Jesus is your first. Jesus is your first love. Don't get your eyes off Jesus. Now, go to the next thing. The next one, the second church, Smyrna, is about A.D. 160. And this word Smyrna means myrrh. Remember, Jesus was given gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh, definition of myrrh means bitter. And what myrrh was, it was crushed. It was like a, a herb thing, and it was crushed. And when it was crushed, the fragrance would come out. Jesus was given myrrh as a prophetic notion of his death and and resurrection. He would be crushed with the sin of the world, but the life of God would come as a result and save humanity. The church in Smyrna, which was around A.D. 60, another section of time, was crushed by Roman persecution. That's when you see them getting eaten by lions. Great persecution came to the church. There was a season of time that happened. To a measure, that's going to happen again. To a measure. So you see, we see Smyrna in today's, but Smyrna was a section of time. The third one is called uh, Pergamos. This church, it means mixed marriage. This happened about 313 AD. This was another time in history that we see this is the third church mentioned. And basically what it means is Constantine comes and says, Christianity is a state religion now. You're no longer going to be eaten by a lion. But what happened? The Catholic Church came out of this. We got all this carnal, uh, uh, many times demonic stuff that that is man's concepts mixed now with the power of the early church. And it's become a mixed marriage where now you've got a religious church, but it's still a church. 
And that happened at that time, and that's where the Catholic Church came out of, and we're seeing it happening today with this, these false doctrines and the seeker-sensitive nonsense. It's mixing false doctrine with true doctrine, and you're coming having a dead church. Do you understand? But that was for a season of history. Now go to the next one. Thyatria, and this church was the Dark Age church, and, and, and I won't go and get into it, but if you study what that means, what, what God is saying is that this was a, this church, it means darkness, this, the church in, in the Dark Ages, the 11s, 12s, 13, 14, 15, these, the church world was in darkness. Revelation was at a premium. Are you, are you listening? This is history. I'm not making this up. If you study church history for hundreds of years, it was called the Dark Ages. Why do you think they called it the Dark Ages? It wasn't because they didn't have electricity. It was because there was no spiritual light. So because people think they're talking about electricity, Greg, it's talking about spirit. That's why they call it the Dark Ages. Now, there's a measure when the, when the former church, which is this uh, Pergamos church, which is a mixed marriage, when you let false doctrine in, it produces darkness. So you see the church was this Catholic thing and you got all mixed up doctrinally. You got some demonic stuff, some godly stuff. It's a mixed marriage, but what, what does it produce? It produces darkness. And we can see that happening even today. You got these denominations that are completely out of the will of God and what they believe. And what does it lead to? Powerlessness, darkness, no revelation of the word, no light, no healing, no miracles. We see it today, but that was a time in church history. The Tyria. Okay, next one. Sardis. This is another section. This is a 1517 when he puts the 95 thesis. He nails it. I've been right there at the door where he did it. I, I don't listen to rules. I climbed over the barricade. I climbed over the second barricade and I took selfie shots with me like with a hammer where, where Martin Luther and my wife said, get back. I said, bind you in Jesus name. I didn't come all the way here from Canada so I could stand behind a railing, Reverend Dan. <laughs> And I went right up to that door where he'd put the 95, Martin Luther put the 95 thesis. That was a moment in time. It split everything. Because what he was saying is, we're not going to abide by Catholic doctrine anymore. The Bible says you must be born again and you must live by faith. This was the beginning of enlightenment, Greg. This was a section of church history called Sardis. And the word actually means the escaped ones. They escaped from religion and they started shining the light of faith. Now it's happening now. There's more people that are trying to escape this false stuff than ever before. And they're looking for the real church. They're looking for power. Now you go to the next one. We see this is the book. Of, this is the church called Philadelphia Church, which means brotherly love. But if you, if you study this in, in terms of history, there was a season of time about started about 1750 where there was a major thrust of the love of God being poured out and people getting saved in great evangelistic crusades. This was the time of John Wesley and Charles Wesley. And uh, what's the other one, Jenny? The one, the famous guy there in the States. Spurgeon, but there was, I forget his name, Whitfield, George Whitfield. That's actually George Whitfield there preaching in, in colonial America. This is before even the War of Independence. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people got born again from 1750 on. It was a time of the love of God being outpoured. This was a time in church history, but it's also a time today. And now you see the final church. The final church in the book of Revelations is the, and I read it to you, is the Laodicea church. Let me read it. Means the rule or will of the people. 
Christ addresses himself as the Amen, confirming all that he had commanded John to write, finding nothing, listen now, when Jesus looked at the church called Laodicea, he found nothing but self-satisfaction and material riches. Our Lord reminds them of their spiritual poverty and his disappointment with the forceful words, because thou art lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, we see that is an element of the church today. But I want to tell you something, and this is what the Holy Ghost said to me this week, which I was, I was quite surprised at and, and quite amazed at. While all the seven apply to today, he said to me, he said, son, you need to remember, for 2,000 years, there's been different sections of the church age. All seven of those churches had a season. You are in the last season. You are called the last day church. Your section of history is called the Laodicean church. All the measure of all seven are today, but especially the Laodicean church is today because this is actually our segment of time. You could have been born in 1500, but you weren't. You could have been born in 800 and been part of that season where there was a mixed marriage, but you weren't. You could have been born in the apostles' time, but you weren't. You could have been born and heard George Whitfield preach to you in the fields of Pennsylvania, but you weren't. You were born in the church time of history called the Laodicean age. I'm just being honest with you because the Bible, this is in the Bible. And the Holy Ghost said something to me, Jenny, that surprised me. Are you ready? He said, because you are part of this season of time, what I saw in the Laodicean church is going to try to get on you. Because this is the time you live in. If you lived earlier, what was then would try to get on you. The Laodicean church was a church that Jesus was disappointed in. Why? Because they were self-absorbed and they were covetous. Jesus don't mind me being rich. Because the blessing of Abraham is on me. He doesn't want me to be greedy, money-minded, and covetous. But this thing here, there's nothing wrong with material riches, but they have it in the wrong place. They're focused on money at the expense of God. And self-satisfaction, self-absorption, selfies, selfie sticks, Instagram. I'm not against any of it, but our whole society is about self. L'Oreal, listen, put the makeup on, ladies. We all appreciate it when you do. But everything is about how I look. How do I look? What do I look like in this? It's all, I'm telling you, our society is obsessed with self. Yes, sir. Now, what, is that? what did Dad Hagen always tell us? The spirit of the world will try to get into the church. If the society is completely obsessed with self and with greed, those are the two things. That spirit of the world will try to get into the church. And the church will have a struggle with being greedy, money-minded, everything about money, 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 and self. Now, let me tell you, I'm trying to help you. When you get greedy and you get self-oriented, you know what happens? You lose your hotness. Jesus said, now he said to me this week, this is the church part that you are living in. You weren't born hundreds of years ago. You were born now. You're part of the last day church. While all seven apply to you, the last one applies to you the most. Because it's actually your age that you're in. Now listen to me. The spirit of the world will try to get on us. We have to fight more than we've ever fought 
against lukewarmness because our society, Daniel, that, that, that God established, he called, the, he called this church. He said, we are the Laodicean church right before Jesus comes. There's going to be an emphasis called the Laodicean emphasis. And what is that emphasis? Slow down. Don't be hot. Relax. Think of you. Think of money. Be self-absorbed. Don't worry about that. Do your own thing. It's lukewarmness. If there's ever a day we have to fight lukewarmness, it is today. Because we are Reuben, the Laodicean church. That is the time in which we live. We don't have to act like them, but we're living at their time. Do you understand that the spirit of the world is going to try to get on you to make you lukewarm more than ever before? That you're going to feel lackadaisical, lethargic, slothful. I don't really want to go. Hey, he's asking for this again. He's asking for that again. He said 64% ministry. I don't want to be in ministry. You see, all that is lukewarm. So when God is saying, I'm looking for a runner. I'm looking for somebody that will give their whole heart to it. I'm looking for somebody that will cast off their, their sins and their weights. I'm looking for somebody that will be patient because it won't show up right away. I'm looking for somebody that will watch me and not watch people because they'll be disappointed. I want you to give your heart to this. I want you to press. Amen. You see, that's called hot. Yes, sir. That's not lukewarm. Lukewarm, lukewarm is jogging. Cold is walking. God says, I don't want you to walk and I don't want you to jog. I don't want you to become lukewarm like this church selfish. I want you to give your all. Give your heart to this and run your race. When you run, you are hot. Do you see it? Are you with me? Do you understand there's going to be a temptation for you to become lukewarm? Have you ever drank tea that's lukewarm? It don't taste too good. That's what happens every service. I get the tea, it's hot. And then I come up for the announcements. I come back to take one swig. And you think I'd learn. I do it every single week. I take that swig expecting it because it looks the same. But when it gets in my mouth, and I can barely swallow it. Because it's not even cold. I mean, if it was cold tea, I could take it. And if it's hot tea, I like it. But that middle of the road grosses me out. But it looks, Greg, the same. And people can look. Hallelujah. They can look the same, but in their heart, they've grown cold. In their heart, they're thinking more about themselves than the vision of God. In their heart, they're walking. They're not running. And God doesn't want it. I can't run your race, Jennifer. Jennifer, you have to run your race. I can only tell you what the Bible says, but Jennifer has to guard her own heart. She has to take this message and, and meditate, absorb it, and decide to live it. And she has to make little decisions every day. How do I run? How do I stay hot? When an opportunity comes for me to do something at work that's wrong, I'm going to choose to do the right thing. And I'm going to do the right thing with all my heart because I'm a runner and my love for God is white flaming hot. When I'm tempted not to tithe, I'm going to run. And I'm going to be white hot for God. I'm not going to backside. I'm not going to turn away. When, I, when, when, I, when that woman winks at me, I'm going to give her a slap across the face. That's called being white hot. You can just look at her and say, you know what? You think you're so hot. Winking at me like that. You know what I am? I'm hot. Bang! No, no, don't. No, don't. No, don't slap her because they'll put a lawsuit on you. 
But when they think they're hot, you tell them, I'm the one that's hot, baby, not you. I'm white hot for God. The power of God's burning in me like a hurricane. You better get your little, little makeup-y eye out of here before I slap you into tomorrow. Your clothes won't even be in fashion when you wake up from my slap. Don't you come and try to bat your eyelids at me and try to get me to sexually sin. Don't you know who I am? I'll embarrass you, whore of Babylon, before you ever get to embarrass me. <laughs> oh yeah sin will embarrass you if you don't embarrass it first and when Jesse DePlantis was on the airplane and that rich woman was thinking and asking him to have an affair when they got to the next place and Jesse now he read his own plane but he stood up in front of everybody and he said whore of Babylon whore of Babylon first class everybody heard and saw the whore now you say well you're taking it too far but he didn't wind up in bed with her now, maybe he's a bit more colorful than you. I don't know if I would have done that, Jenny. But that's what he did. And he said, just say no, she said. But he said no, and then he let everybody know who the whore of Babylon was. And he said, if you don't embarrass sin, it will embarrass you. He said, I don't have a problem embarrassing sin. I'll embarrass sin every day chance I get because it's not going to have dominion over me. I'm not cheating on my wife with you because you bat your little eyelids at me. Whore of Babylon! Now you can laugh, but you don't have to do that, but you better do it. You may not do it like that, but you better do it. Because all I get some men telling me, well, it's just coffee, Pastor Craig. You're stupid is what you are. No, it's not just coffee. You're just an idiot. Because you have taken the bait. It doesn't, you have to be pretty stupid to take the bait. And you're about to cheat on your wife. And it's not worth it. It's not worth the price you're going to pay. It's not. Stay hot for God. Stay running with all your heart. Don't give in to the pressure of the world, spirit of the world that wants us to become selfish, covetous, and lukewarm. He's asking us to run. Now let me say the last phrase, which I promised God I would before I ran out of time. This goes along with it, but I'm taking a little bit of diversion, but it stays with the same theme. The Lord talked to me this week about healing. And the Lord said these words to me. He said, you have been very good at teaching the people how to get healed on their own. Now, I'm a strong believer in that because if I can get you to catch a fish, you don't need me to catch it for you. If I can get you to do the eight C's, you'll get healed of any disease anytime on your own. You'll get healed of any poverty problem on your own. If you can learn how to take things by faith, change your life. You don't need anybody to lay hands on you. But the Lord said something to me, mom, this week that really shocked me. He was talking to me about being hot and running with all my heart. And he said this to me. He said, you've been teaching the highest flow, which is to get it on their own. He said, but son, have you noticed some people can't get it on their own? Now, I'm, I, them fighting words. So I'm saying, what are you talking about? Of course they can get it on their own. Anybody can get it on their own. That's what the Bible teaches. He said, son, I know anybody can get it on their own, but have you noticed not everybody gets it on their own? Which means for whatever reason, not everybody connects the dots. Whatever reason, maybe they're doing it, but it hasn't manifested and then they get tired and they quit. There could be a variety of things. But he said this to me, Dan, this week. He said, I commend you for teaching strong on getting healed, learning the highest flow, which is on their own. He said, but you have not flipped the coin in a long time. Do you know what it means by that? There's two sides to that coin. I've been hammering one side, one side, one side, one side, because it's the highest side. But there's a lower side. It just because it's lesser doesn't mean it's, we should not focus on it. 
But there is a lesser side that I never, I, I've kind of stopped focusing on. And the Lord rebuked me. He said, you've been focusing so much on how they get healed on their own. He said, you have not been challenging them that if for whatever reason they can't get it on their own to release their faith. It might be lesser, but it's still faith. To release their faith to come to that church service. And if they can't believe that God will do it directly because of their laying hold, they at least can say, if I can get my pastor to pray for me, the power in his life will flow into my body and the fire of God will burn those things out of me. Like that man born of four, if I can just get to where he is, if I can just get to where the man of God is, I'll break the roof up if I have to. I'm not going to let symptoms, sickness, tiredness, whatever stop me. I'm going to get there. And if I have to break the roof, I'll break the roof. But I've got to get there. If I can just get in front of him, the power of God will heal me. Yeah. Now that's still faith. Yes, it, is. it might not be, I take it, with God dealing directly with you, but it's still faith nonetheless for you to say, listen, in other words, I'm so black and white. I feel like if you can't get it, not my problem. Because I taught you how to get it. You just got to do it. But the Lord is much kinder than me. And the Lord understands that there's two sides to a coin. And he knows that there's a higher and there's a lower. There's a greater and there's a lesser. And while the greater is, to get it on your own, some people, for whatever reason, and I'm not judging or condemning people, but some people, for whatever reason, they're not making the connection. But there's still faith that can be released in the anointing on a man of God's life. Yes, sir. And the Lord said, and he brought up four, three or four people to me, bought their face, bang, bought their face, bang, bought their face, bang, bought their face, bang. And he said, and I won't tell you their names, obviously, but he said, you see all these people in your congregation? I said, yes, Lord. He said, you know, all of them are sick. I said, yes, I do, Lord. And he said, have you noticed none of them come? None of them come with a great confidence that if they can just get to you, that I'll heal them. What they do is they get sick and they get depressed because they can't get this thing to work. So, and then they feel condemned. Well, I don't know. It works for everybody else. It doesn't work for me. And then the devil heaps condemnation on them. And then instead of, instead of releasing that other level of faith where they say, I'll push through the pain. I'll push through the inconvenience. I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to get to that church. And when I, get, I release my faith, God, that when I get before my man of God, your power is going to strike through him into my body and you're going to burn this out of me. I know that I'll be healed. I just have to get there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you see the difference? Yes. Now, I want you to get to the place where you do that kind of faith directly. But if for whatever reason you're not making the connection, at least do the second, which is to have faith that the power of God will work in the church. And I'm telling you, Jen, he showed me faces and he said, that person is staying at home. They're depressed. And he said, if they would only have that confidence and say, one way or the other, I'm getting to church. I don't care the symptoms. I don't care the pain. I don't care the blood. I don't care the pus. I don't care what is going on in my body. I'm getting there. And when I get there, my faith, remember Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Don't just come lackadaisical. Well, pastor, if you're in the mood, whatever you think, pastor, you use your faith. It won't work for you. Yeah. If you come with that kind of, I'll break the roof if I have to. Get out of my way. Ushers, you can stand there. I'll knock you down to Chinatown. Get out of my way. I'm getting to my man of God and he is going to lay his hands on me whether he likes it or not. And I'm going to get healed. I'm not leaving this building until I'm healed. Yeah. Now you see, we've lost that, Jenny. We've lost that for, well, well. See, that's lukewarm. Yeah. You can be hot in your faith even in trying to receive from the minister. 
I'm not even talking about receiving directly from God. You need to be hot in your faith, ideally on that too. But if you can't or you won't, or whatever the reason is, don't lose your healing. Don't lose your victory because you have quit and because you're condemned and because you think this faith stuff doesn't work and because you're in your bed and you've given up and you've got no hope. No, rise up. And where's the heat of your faith? Rise up with some hot faith. Stir yourself up. Run your race and say, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I can't seem to get it to work. You'll figure it out with me later. I'll learn more later. But right now I want you to know I'm going. And when I go, he's going to lay hands. And when he lays hands, I say I'll be healed. I'm like the woman with the issue of blood. When I touch his garment, I'll be healed. I don't care what they say. They said they'll stone me. Go ahead and try. I dare you to. I am going to be healed. You see, when people get that kind of faith, I don't, it's not, the anointing then is not about me. The anointing is about the person that comes with that kind of faith. If you study the life of Jesus, the majority of time an individual came to him, not a mass group, an individual, he said, according to your faith. When he ministered on mass under that corporate anointing, he didn't say according to your faith, he just healed them all. Because the anointing was on him. When I have big healing lines, you come bring as much faith as you can, but the anointing on me will help you almost regardless of you because it's a corporate anointing. But when I'm just not under that corporate anointing and I'm just a normal guy, I'm still anointed, but I'm just a normal guy. And you come as an individual and say, I'm not leaving. You, Pastor Craig, listen to me. I know you got all your highfalutin security. I'll bust every one of them up. I'm not leaving till you lay hands on me. And don't you even think about going in that green room. I'll chase you down. You are going to lay hands on me. And when you do, I'm going to be healed. So go ahead, I double dog dare you. Lay your hands on me. Just go ahead. If people come with that kind of a, that anointing on my life will work for you. Because Jesus wasn't under the corporate anointing. But when people came and Brian Bartimaeus said, this is, my, this is my robe that gives me the right to beg. If I lose it, I die. I starve. Hey, robe, there you are. I cast away. Today, I will be healed. That's what he did. He gave it all up. He was willing to die to get healed. See the aggressive? See, Jesus, Jesus just said, go for it. Be healed. The power just came out of him because the faith in that man drew the power. That lady would have been stoned if they'd caught her. She was unclean to be in crowds. She knew it was a death sentence, Jenny, and she pushed through and said, I don't care, come death, come hell or high water, I'm getting my healing today. And she touched him, and you see, Jesus never laid hands on her. The power came out of him. Her faith. Now, any time a person came to me, he said, according to your faith, according to your faith, according to your faith. In other words, if you've got faith, you'll be healed. Because you've come to me. I didn't call the meeting. If I call the meeting, faith on me will handle it for everybody. But when you come to me and interrupt me, you better have some faith. But if you have some faith, like that man born afore, if you have some faith, you will take up your bed this day and you will go. I'm telling you, brother, Tony, God said it to me so clear. He said, I'm proud of you for preaching the highest, which is to get it on their own. He said, but there's some people, son, that can't get it. And they're being discouraged. It's like God's heart was hurting. It's like God sees his precious children and some of them just can't get it, Jenny. They're trying, but they're not making a connection for whatever the reason is. And he sees that they're, they're not getting the way that I've been teaching and he oh, whoa, so wants them to be healed and he so wants them to get it even if it's through another route. He wants them to be healed more than they want to be healed. And so he says, son, I want you, you've been talking one side, I need you to flip the pancake and start teaching the other side a little bit. You used to do it strong, but you've got away from it and I have. 
Because I'm so focused on the other side of the coin, of the, your responsibility. But you know what? There's another side of the coin, and that's my responsibility. Now, it's still your responsibility to come with faith. But if you'll come with faith, I'm telling you, the power of God will flow through me into your hands. That's why God gave me a tangible anointing in my right hand. And I can feel that power come like heat, sometimes like electricity. And I can feel when I lay hands, that thing goes out of my hand into their body. It's tangible, and it's real. Not every time, but many times. And if you come, if you come with aggressive faith, hot, white hot, running faith, do you understand? And you say, I will not be denied. Don't be condemned that you're not getting it the other way. God will teach you in time. Just get healed. That's what he wants. Just get your job. That's what he wants. Just get the answer to your prayer. That's more important to God than you trying to divide the theology of the eight C's and figure out where you missed it. He will teach you in time how to get it on your own. But he doesn't want you to suffer today because you can't figure it out. He says there's another route. There's another method. It's your man of God. But you've got to come with faith. If you believe, he will lay his hands and the power of God will set you free. And I heard him say, if you preach it, son, and if you preach it strong, he said, my power will come on you in a tangible way. And when they come to you with faith, the power will fire. He actually said the fire will go into them and burn things out of their bodies. But they've got to come with confidence. Are you with me? God wants you healed. (laughs) He doesn't care what route he does, but he doesn't. He just wants you better. He wants you to get that job. He wants you to get that house. He wants you to get out of that debt. He wants you to get that deliverance in your mind. He wants you to get freedom in your body. He wants it so bad for you. He's teaching you how to get it on your own. But if you're not connecting the dots, at least come and say, Pastor, for whatever reason, it's not working for me, but it will. I'll learn. Give me some time. But I need help now. And you are going to pray for me whether you like it or not. That lady came. I'll close with this. I'd never seen her before. I've never seen her since. I can tell you many stories like this. This is just one that came to my heart this morning. She heard us on the radio. She said, after the fact, I've never heard anybody preach like that before, such boldness and such confidence. Nobody I've ever heard thinks that God can do those kind of things. So she drove two and a half hours in a rainstorm on a Wednesday night. She was deaf in one ear, stone deaf. Other ear was fine. And she said, if he's telling the truth, I'm going to go to that church. And I'm going to get healed. And she said to me afterwards, she said, Pastor, I didn't know if you were preaching on healing, but I told God, I don't care what he preaches on. You see, God likes those kind of tough ladies. She said, I don't care what he preaches on. I don't care how many people are there. And I don't care whether he lays hands on me or not. I am not leaving that building until I'm healed. And she drove two and a half hours through a rainstorm, came in, I think it was the second last or the last song. She missed about 20 minutes of the worship because she was late. She sat in that, right, that left middle section about halfway back. She told me after, she testified after, and I've never seen her, I've never seen her since. I guess she lives far away. But she said, I came and I told God, I'm not leaving that church till I get healed. There's no question about it. I'm not leaving till I get it. You see that tenacity? That's like the man who broke up the roof. I don't care what I have to do. There's no room. I'll bust your roof up. I'm getting in one way or the other. See, there's, a, there's such a hunger there. There's such a hot white faith. That's not, that's not jogging, Jenny. That's all out sprinting. And she came here. I, would, I didn't teach on one thing of healing. I didn't lay hands on a person. God knew. Now, God could have given me a word of knowledge. He chose not to. You know what he did? Before I even got up to preach on the last song, she'd only been here five minutes. She's sitting there, wet, tired, 
in the traffic. She's on the last song, but she decided she ain't leaving till she's healed. And she didn't know how God's going to do it. She just decided. Well, God, out of honor for her faith, decided I'm not going to let that little lady wait not a second longer than she needs to. Now, sometimes God makes you wait right to the end of the service. This time on the last song while Taylor sang, God blew her eardrum open and did a creative miracle, put a new eardrum in her and had perfect hearing on the last song. Heard the whole service. I didn't touch her. I didn't even know she was in the building. You see, it wasn't about me. It was about her faith. The anointing didn't need to flow through me. The anointing is here for healing if people will have faith. If they'll have that aggressive faith, I'm going to get healed. I don't care what happens. I'm going to get healed. And look what God did for her. I can tell you story after story of people that have done that. People that have heard on the radio. That man that had problems, hemorrhoids and all this stuff with a turban on. He couldn't sit for more than 10 minutes at a time. But he said, I'm going to go and God's going to heal me. He wasn't even a Christian. And he came and he sat back there. And, and even during the worship, God healed him before I even got to the prayer line. And he sat the entire service and heard me preach. He had never been able to sit for more than 10 minutes at a time. He sat over an hour. God healed him before he even got up to the front. Why? Because he had set his heart. And he wasn't even a Christian. He heard their God heals. And he said, if their God heals, their God will heal me. I'm not leaving. And God, listen, an unsaved person, God honored their faith and healed them in the worship service. And here we got people in our church that come up for every healing line. I pour every bottle of oil I own. I get Jerry Savelle and everybody else to lather them up and slap them a little bit and they're still not getting healed. And yet I got a sinner in a turban who doesn't even believe in Jesus who said if their God heals, he'll heal me. And he gets healed before I even touch him. You see the difference? between people coming and they're looking for me versus them coming and saying, I'm not leaving till I'm healed. Do you see that aggression? That's called, that's part of the running. That's your faith for healing, running. That's white hot faith. We got to get back to it. If you're sick and if, according to your faith, my brother and sister, according to your faith, according to your faith, if you'll come believing, God will answer you. I'm, I'm, not an, I'm not a roadblock. I'm not an obstacle. I will let the power flow through me. And many times the anointing will be on me for you and God will do it that way. But you're always guaranteed an answer if, if you have faith. You, but you've got to get to that place where you say, I don't care how much pain I'm in. You know, a lot of people, they get, a, they get a chemotherapy appointment. They wouldn't miss that appointment for love or money. But the pastor says, come meet me at 1135. That's the only time I have while I'm busy. All that means very simply is they have more faith in the chemotherapy yeah. appointment and medical science than they do the power of God. But if they had more honor and faith, listen, if I can get around my man of God, I know when he lays hands on me, even if I can't seem to get it from God, I won't worry about that. God will teach me over time. I'm going to get healed and you're going to pray for me and I'm going to get it. They would, they would move hell or hell. They would move anything to get to that service. At first one, David Hogan raised from the dead. He had been preaching. The kid died. And the father came up to him and said, you've been preaching. He said, yes, sir. He said, my son's dead and you're going to raise him. And he said, and David looked at him and goes, I am. This is the first time he'd ever done it. He's done it 28 times now. Remember that, Jenny? And the father says, you are going to raise my son, whether you like it or not. You know, that's kind of confident. So David went and didn't know what to do. Little boy there. What was he, 10 years old? No little shirt. They're in the jungle. It's hot. He's dead. Everyone is watching him. He doesn't know what to do. But the father said, you're going to do it. 
Because I have faith. See, according to his faith. So he just put his hand there. He doesn't know what to do. He says, God, I don't know what to do. Help me. He doesn't know how to pray. He just starts to pray in tongues. And he just starts to pray in tongues. And he just prays in tongues. He just prays in tongues. And then a little, after a little while, about what? About half an hour. Longer than that. Well, that's right. It was like three hours. I forgot. That was the first time. And, and, then, and, then, and then he just sees a little thing. It's a little movement here. You see that? <laughs> you know David with the, you see that? And the father said, I saw that. So he prays a bit more and the color comes back and his eyes opened. And after what, four or five hours of being dead, he was raised from the dead. But that father said, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what medical science says. And I don't even care what you say. You're going to do it because you preached it. That is serious, almost arrogance, but faith. Because David could have said, well, I'm not going to do it. I don't care what you say. But that father said, I'm not going to be denied. I won't be denied. I don't care whether you like, I don't care whether you're in the mood to do it or not. I need this. You're going to do it. I have faith in God, but I don't know how to get it on my own, but you do. You're going to, God is going to flow through you. Why don't some of you come to church with that kind of attitude? I'm going to have it. If you do, I'll meet you privately in the back. I'll minister healing to you and the fire of God will help you. God said, Craig, you're not teaching both sides of the coin like you used to. You used to focus equally on the other. Now you just talk about them getting it themselves. And while that's good, you need to tell people, if they will come in faith, I will meet their need. Yes. Praise God. Hallelujah. There's no right reason for anybody to be sick at promise of life. Between what we teach you and your faith in God and the anointing on my life, you're going to get healed one way or the other. Have that great confidence in God. I will not be denied. I will not be denied. <sighs> Praise God. When I was in that, in that little village <laughs> in India, and we used the man's house, because he's the only one with a house, everybody has shacks. And that man never heard of the name of Jesus. He'd never even heard of the word Jesus. And so Aubrey with me told him, can we use your house to have a service for Jesus to come? Who's Jesus? The man thought that Jesus was a female term, which it wasn't. And he thought Jesus lived in the next village and was a beautiful woman. That's what he thought. So he initially agreed because Jesus was going to come and he thought she was a beautiful woman in the next town. That's why he opened up his house. I think he was disappointed when we, he found out that Jesus is a man that lives in heaven. But he had already given us his word, so we held him to his word. No electricity. And the pastor looked at me and said, Pastor, before we go in with torches. Oh, I miss those days, Jenny. He says, you see over there, the mountains? I said, how far are those? He says, those are 60 kilometers away. He said, on the other side, there's a village. The people that have come tonight are from that village. They've been walking for three days over the mountains to come because I told people that a man from across the ocean was coming with God's power. Here I am. I'm just a little kid, 19 years old. I don't know nothing. I just know a little bit about Jesus. And they've been hiking for three days with babies on their back and mules, sleeping in the open fields, coming to my meeting. I don't even know that they were coming. And they get there and I do a healing line with torches because there's no electricity. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Those people came and they had such simple but aggressive faith. I've walked for three days 
I will be healed. You see that confidence? See, that's according to your faith. It was so easy, Jenny. I just touched them. The fire of God would come. I could feel it go into their head like a, like a lightning. And they'd be healed. And they'd start jumping. And this one guy that had a, something in his ear, it was all swollen. And I don't mean to be gross, but there was stuff coming out of it. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, put your finger in his ear. I said, Lord, I don't want to do that. He said, put it and put it in strong. So I said, well, if I'm going to do it, I might as well have fun. <laughs> so I took him by the left ear and I put this and I went <clears throat> like that. And it splattered on the person beside him on their cheek. But his ear instantly opened. I just wiped that cheek off. I said, don't worry, sweetheart. What's wrong with you? <laughs> she got healed. And then the owner of the house who thought Jesus was a beautiful woman had a, had a, a cow, a bull, like a, a little baby bull that was sick, dying. And he said, this is the owner of the house. He got saved that night. He said, can Jesus heal my bull? And I didn't know, nobody's ever asked me that question before. So I said, sir, according to your faith, be it unto you. He goes outside. He brings in the bull. I mean, in my healing service. He brings in that baby bull. I'll never forget it. And it is, you could tell it was heavy breathing, wheezing, and it had stuff coming out of its nostrils. And he said, pray for Jesus to heal. He's saying through the interpreter. I've never laid hands. I laid hands on that bull. I said, Jesus, I reminded myself that John Lake prayed once for a, what was it, a, a horse, and God healed the horse. So I said, Father, I've got somebody in that I trust that prayed for a horse. This is not a horse, but it's close enough. I said, you need to heal this thing. You know, God healed that bull. Because that simple man just said, I believe. God healed people all over that place that night. You know why? Because they came. I'm not going to be denied. It cost me something to come here. You're not going to send me on my way preacher with a happy sermon and sickness in my body. I'm not leaving till you heal me. And sometimes they think I heal, but it's really God. But they'll sometimes say, you heal me. You heal me. You heal me. And I'm like, no, Jesus heal you. No, no, no. You heal me. Because they don't understand the theology. But when you've walked 60 kilometers and you've got another 60 kilometers to go back, you're not going to be denied. The problem is we make it so easy for people. Now nobody has to pay a price for anything. Now everything is handed to you on a silver platter. So now that spirit of faith is not there with people. If you'll come, if you'll stir yourself up and say, I will not be denied. My church teaches this and I'm going to have it. And pastor, I don't care whether you're tired or not. I don't care whether you've preached two services or not. You're not leaving the property until I'm healed. You see, if people would have a little bit more of that, God would show up more. Are you with me? Let's, come on guys, that's called white hot running faith. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your people today. Lord, you put this in my heart to preach to them about running with all our hearts, about weights to be off, about being patient because it takes time, about looking at Jesus, not at people, about giving our hearts fully to it, about being white hot, not the Laodicean church, but the Holy Ghost church in the Laodicean period where we're not money conscious and we're not selfish and we're not lukewarm. We're white hot and we're running fast and we're giving ourselves to God. Lord, that's what I want for this church and that's what I'm trying to walk in myself. And that translates into many areas. And one area you had me highlight is this area of healing. That that white heart faith can be exercised by saying, if I can't get it, I'm still learning, but I can go to a church and my pastor will pray and I'm not leaving until I'm healed. And Lord, if they'll have white heart faith in that area, you'll do great things for this congregation. We'll see everybody whole. 
in Jesus' name. We'll see everybody that needs a job with a job. We'll see everybody struggling, overcoming. Because if they have the attitude that I won't be denied, you will honor that faith. I'm small party to it, Father. The power will just flow through me into them. But it was their faith that initiated the glory of God. So, Father, I say to them, according to your faith, be it unto you. And I thank you, Father, that we'll see more breakthroughs in this congregation because they decide that they're not going to be denied. I give you praise for it.